Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Billy Duncan had it. They turned it over. Alley oop back to Kevin. Oh, baby! Woo! Hey, D! You can see it coming, and the building is electric off that slam dunk. Welcome back to another episode of the Believe in Timberwolves podcast, part of the Believe Network. I'm your host, Brendan Hedke, and today is our first episode with our brand new co-host. And I have been kind of teasing this on Twitter a little bit, (laughs) trying to give some hints. And I only had one person guess correctly, but the person sitting across from me via Zoom is Doug West, former Timberwolf. How's it going, Doug? It's going great. Uh really good i was shocked at that at that twitter post i mean we had every name there and only one person got it you know it was, I know. Uh, you know i saw felton spencer i saw i mean i saw all kinds of names there everybody so it, was, it was good and it was a good little tease there by you you know really appreciate it so uh like i said doug is our new co-host so he'll be with us for episodes moving forward which i'm really excited about i know the network's excited about and i think doug's excited about it too so Doug, maybe for people, I guess, like me who didn't get to see you play and don't really know your career, just take us down a quick little trip of your career. I know you went to Villanova out of high school and then you got drafted by the Timberwolves. But if you want to touch on anything that happened throughout your your NBA career or college career, go ahead. Let the people know. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, you know, I was I had the opportunity um, coming out of Altoona, Pennsylvania to be uh, recruited uh, to Villanova by the late Raleigh Massimino. Um, four outstanding years playing for Coach Mass um, at Villanova. And then I was drafted uh, 1989 second round, uh, number 30, I think 38 or 39 pick uh, by the Timberwolves. And uh, back then, shocked, shocked at it because uh, I was expecting to go in the first round and um, went in the second round, uh, you know, but came to Minnesota, a place I'd never been. Um, Met Bill Musselman, who was our coach. Uh, great time in Minnesota. Um, coming to Minnesota, it was a place where I didn't know what to expect. And I found out right away some of the nicest people um, in the world <laughs> lived in Minnesota. Um, friendliest people. Um, you know, so had a chance to start uh, as, as on the inaugural, um, inaugural uh, team, um, you know, with Tony Campbell, Pooh Richardson, uh, players of that nature, Tyrone Corbin. Um, you know, we came out strong the first year as an expansion team. Um, I think we, I think we won 22 games that first year. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the career went on, um, played nine years, at the Timberwolves, um, under five different coaches, uh, you know, Bill Musselman being the first one, then on to, I think it was, uh, Jimmy Rogers, then Sidney Lowe, um, Somewhere Bill Blair was in there. I miss Bill Blair, I think. And then um, Flip, uh, Flip Saunders, uh, you know, the late Flip Saunders, uh, great coach, uh, great basketball mind. Um, learned so much uh, of what I do still to this day, uh, coaching basketball uh, from Flip. Um, you know, uh, you know, having Kevin McHale come in as a general manager, um, you know, having the opportunity to play with uh, greats, uh, in, you know, we can go down the list of uh, Christian Leitner, J.R. Ryder, Tom Gugliotta, um, you know, it goes on and on. Um, but a great career, um, great time in Minnesota. Um, enjoyed the fans, enjoyed the people, um, enjoyed my time there. Um, and then got traded uh, 1998 um, to Vancouver, where I finished my career out with the Vancouver Grizzlies. So... I guess the one question I have about your NBA career is do you consider yourself a, a Timberwolf or a Grizzly when you look back at your career? <laughs> That's really funny because about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, right before the pandemic, uh, the Timberwolves reached out. Um, they wanted to do something with uh, the alums. And it was the first time in, what, 20-something, 30-something years that someone had reached out. And I've always considered myself a Timberwolf. I mean, I had nine years there. Um, you right. know, my, my, my kids were born there. Um, you know, I had homes there, um, lived there for a long time. 
And uh, it was great to have that call. And yes, I consider myself a Timberwolf. And I think everybody listening would be would be happy to hear that. All right. Well, we got to take a quick break and then we will be right back to talk more to Doug and then get into some of this year's Timberwolves. So we'll be right back. We are finally here. The top teams in college basketball have been determined and the final four is set. Looking to wager on these games or the national championship? Head over to betonline.ag on your desktop or your mobile device and sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get started. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the updated odds and info, along with player props and new contests throughout the year. It's the best source for all of your sports wagering needs, including live betting and everyone's favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so join today. Learn why everyone is saying BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on sports. BetOnline. It's where the game starts. All right, we are back sitting here. Like I said, Doug West is now our co-host, and he just took us down a little trip down memory lane of his career. So, Doug, I guess the biggest question I have for you is after your uh, playing career, you started getting to coaching, coach at some high school levels college levels, um, and then in the NBA, I guess, D-League at the time. Did you, and the one person that you coached alongside with that we were talking about yesterday when we were texting (laughs) back and forth was coaching with Nick Nurse, who coaches the Toronto Raptors. The Timberwolves play the Raptors tonight um, as we're recording on Wednesday. So what was it like to coach with Nick Nurse? And at the same time, I guess, Timberwolves head head coach Chris Finch coached for the Houston Rockets. And you were with Rio Grande Valley Vipers, um, which was their D-League affiliate. So how closely did you work with Coach Finch or did you not work with him at all being separately? How well did you get to know him, I guess, through that time? I think I think mainly with Coach Finch, um, got to know him through meetings. Um, we were able to spend the first uh, week and a half, uh, maybe two weeks um, in Houston, um, with the team as they went through training camp prior to us starting. So, you know, had a chance to, you know, work with Dwight Howard back then, um, James Harden. uh, That's, you know, the the Rockets had a strong staff and Kevin McHale was the head coach. Uh, So, you know, knowing Kevin um, from my days in Minnesota and playing against him, um, you know, that, that was, that was, that was a good thing there. Um, So I got to know Finchie a little bit in the meetings. Um, Nick Nurse, uh, outstanding mind, um, outstanding basketball mind. Um, Learned a lot from Nick Nurse. Um, you know, I, he, I came in um, thinking I was this offensive guy. Um, and, you know, Nick was like, I want you to be in charge of our defense. Um, so I was in charge of the defense that year. Um, and funny thing with that with that season, um, probably about the middle of the season, Patrick Beverly um, got uh, brought in by the by the Rockets and he got put down there with us. And so I had a chance to, to coach Patrick uh, for a few for a few weeks there and just loved his tenacity and his intensity playing the game. And, you know, what you see on the court even today, that's all the time with Patrick. He's just one of those guys who's just so intense. So it's just crazy, I think, hearing all these connections that you have to like the Timberwolves and just things like that. Because even when you would have been working there, the GM of that team of the D league team was Gerson Rosas, who is no longer yes. with the Timberwolves, but was with the Timberwolves up until like the beginning of training camp this year. So it's just, everything seems to connect, you know, small world thing with the NBA. Um, I guess the one more question, really big question I have, because I know that you participated in the dunk contest <laughs> and you are a pretty prolific dunker in your time. Would you consider yourself a better dunker than Anthony Edwards right now? Obviously in your prime versus Anthony Edwards right now. And you could know. No, no, just not. I'm not, I'm not even going to go there. Um, you know, Anthony Edwards, powerful dunker, right hand, left hand, um, exciting player. Um, you know, I saw him when he was in college, watched him play in college. So, you know, I saw that then, then he went to the Timberwolves and, you know, getting an opportunity to see it again. But, uh, the kid has a bright, bright future ahead of him. Um, you know, just has to keep, keep, keep plugging along. Um, and 
seems like Coach Finch has put him in the right positions to be successful. Um, he's really playing, playing his tail off, and uh, hopefully they keep it going. You know, got a, a tough stretch coming up here. Yeah, so let's dive into the Timberwolves and where they kind of sit in the NBA right now. Because as of right now, they're currently the seventh seed. They only have, I believe, six games to go. And they're two games back from the sixth seed, which would mean they'd be out of the play-in if they passed one of Denver or Utah, or both two games ahead of them. I guess when I look at this play-in tournament, I see the Timberwolves are sitting there at the seventh seed. They have a six game lead over the Clippers and a, a 10 and a half game lead over New Orleans, who's in ninth, and then an 11 and a half game lead over the Spurs, who are in 10th. And when the NBA first did the play in tournament type of thing, when they were in the bubble, there was certain criteria you had to meet to be able to get into that play in. Like you had to be within X amount of games. Well, now I sit here and see the Timberwolves being <laughs> 10 plus games over the nine and 10 seed. And I see, I've been hearing a lot of people complaining about why are the Timberwolves forced to play in this play in tournament? They've won their games. They've, they have such a huge lead um, from falling out of the playoffs. Why do they have to risk their chance going into this play in tournament just to fight for that seven seed, which they've earned by six earned. plus games right now. What do you, what are your feelings on, on that? And, and I know it's hard when you're a Timberwolves fan, you see that and you're like, oh, the bias is like, well, my team's done so good. Now they're seventh seed. I want them to play. But if I was, you know, the Pelicans and they're 10 games back, but you're still got a chance. I guess if I was a fan of the Timberwolves, then I'd probably feel differently. But I guess what are your just general thoughts on on how yeah, that works? I, I think if you're a fan of the, of the Pelicans uh, or, or the fans of uh, the teams, you know, um, 10, nine, um, you know, you're happy to see this, this, this come, come, come to fruition here. Um, you know, back when I was playing the top eight teams made it, I made it one time um, to be that eight, eighth place team. And we were happy when we made it that first year, um, you know, now it's, 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 it's tough, you know, but it's, it's good for the fans. I mean, I think the fans enjoy that playing game type atmosphere. I think they look at it a little bit more like March madness. That's coming up, coming up now, you know, you know, there's, there's the one, the one scenario where it's uh, one game or you have to win two games. I think the 10th place team has to win two games uh, to be yeah, able to, to ninth or 10th. To, uh, yeah. They have to, have to win two games to be able to advance. So that puts a lot of pressure on them as well. Um, and the, and you know, the other teams that got to go in there focused, you know what it's, what it's about now and you just got to be ready to play um, Come out with your best, with your best effort and win that first game and it's, and it's done, but I would, I would hope, and, you know, the, the Timberwolves schedule the next few games. I think it's Toronto tonight. Then um, Denver on Friday. Denver, Denver on Friday. And then they got two games. Uh, I think it was – I just looked at it this morning. But they got – I got it pulled up. They got Rockets after that, which would be yes. on uh, Sunday, then Tuesday at the Wizards, then Thursday at the Spurs, and Sunday at the Bulls. Or not yeah, so, at the Bulls, but against the Bulls. Against the Bulls. Yeah, those last three games are at home. So, yeah. you know, a, a good – good opportunity right there to, to make some, some ground and uh, hopefully get that six spot. Yeah. And I think the, the thing that I guess I focus more on when looking at those playoffs is not necessarily the seeding, but who you'd have to play with the seeding. Cause if the yes. wolves end up as the seventh seed play in that play in tournament and they lose to like the Clippers, but then end up winning against whoever is that other, that final team they play, then you got the eighth seed and you got to go against the Suns, who are, like a juggernaut and I don't even want to, I don't know if the wolves can, that's the one team that I don't think the wolves can even put a scare into in the Western conference. Cause the, they're just a machine, the way they play basketball, their ball movement, their shot making any close game, they're going to win because they have two of the best uh, guards at taking over in the clutch. So that's where I get into is like, I think the wolves can win one out of two playing games and, and make the playoffs. But if they don't win that first one, then you got Phoenix and you don't have any shot against Phoenix. Whereas they've played Memphis really good every time this season. They, I think they're two and two against Memphis as the two seed. And then Golden State, I mean, if Steph's hurt or if Draymond Green's not playing, the Wolves have a much better shot there if they end up with the six seed. Um, I guess who's your favorite matchup when you look at that Western Conference of the teams they could potentially play? 
Well, I think my favorite matchup with the way the season's going right now would be them having the opportunity to play the Warriors um, and them being a little beat up right now. But again, you know, the season's not over yet. Guys are going to come back. I look at that Memphis matchup. Those are, that's two young teams with a lot of young energy right there and uh, should be an outstanding series, um, you know, a very competitive series. I mean, Memphis is playing <laughs> some some outstanding basketball, especially without John Moran. I think they're 19 and two without John Moran. I yeah, mean, that's something that's, ridiculous. Yeah, that's a that's a, an amazing um, record to have without your your quote unquote star player. Um, and as you said, I mean, Phoenix watching Phoenix play. It's exciting. Um, you know, the way they move the ball, um, the way they shoot the three, the way they defend. Um, and, you know, Chris Paul came back in the lineup last week and looked like he didn't miss a beat. I think he came back first game with like 14, 14 points and 17 rebounds or or it was flipped, it flipped around there. Um, and, you know, we have one of our uh, our Villanova guys on that team, too. So, uh, you know, there's Mikel Bridges, uh, yeah. who's, who's, who's having a, a great a great year as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I just can't see the Wolves having to answer, especially if you're missing. I don't know how long Malik Beasley and Jaden McDaniels are going to be out. Hopefully they'll be back for the playoffs, but those are two of your most integral bench guys. You got your long athletic, long defender, and athletic and yes, McDaniels. Yeah. And then Beasley, you got, you need someone to knock down shots in the playoffs. And Beasley is that guy. Well, he showed that a few weeks. He showed that a few weeks ago with the with the three point per, uh, performance he put on there. Uh, yeah, he's. Think, were you at that game? I think you were at that game. I was not at that game. I was at the oh, game I thought where we... he set the. I was at the game, like right before that, when he set the the franchise record. For right. Threes that's, yeah, that's season. the game I was talking about. Okay. That's the game I was talking about. Yes. I'm talking. I'm saying the season long franchise record. Oh, I gotcha. was at that one when he got ejected after that. But okay. then I think it was like the next game or two games later is when he hit 11. How many threes? He 11, hit? 11, 11 or 12 threes. It was something, it was something like that. crazy. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, so I wasn't at that one, but I'm sure that place was just electric. I'm going to the, the Bulls game for the last game of the season. Okay. The, the last one I got left. But so that one could have big, big implications too. Yes. If, if the Wolves need to win it to, you know, if they even up with Denver going into that game, if they need to win it to, get that six seed, it'll be kind of reminiscent of the 2017, 18 year when they, uh, when they had to beat Denver to get into the playoffs. Now it's like, Oh, we're matched up with Denver right there too, trying to get, get out of the play. in. so I don't know. It'll just be interesting to see if back to McDaniels and Beasley it'll be interesting to see what those guys um, look like coming down the stretch here. If, if we get to see them at all before the playoffs, or if they're just going to be ready for the playoffs um, I know Beasley's injury wasn't quite as severe, but it also just happened recently. And I tell you what, and, and you know this, I'm guessing. Actually, I don't know what kind of injuries you went through in your career, but ankles, like high ankle sprains oh, that Jaden McDaniels went through. I just, I sprained my ankle playing a men's league like two, <laughs> two months ago. And it's still not like, I mean, I don't have the the doctors that the Timberwolves have, but still like, my ankle still bothers me. So I could see Jaden being bothered by it for, for a while, but I'm just hoping that we do get him back so we can see a true representation of what a healthy Wolves team looks like going into this playoff stretch. Yeah, I had, I had the opportunity to be there in January. Um, I came to a game and uh, actually against the Nets. Um, and I was, you know, I had a chance to go to a practice and, First off, the practice, looking at the size, the length, and the athleticism of some of those guys, uh, especially you said McDaniel's. I couldn't stop looking at how long he was. I mean, I think he's arms, the tallest. I think he's the tallest yeah. guy on the team. Oh, his arms! I, when he puts his arms up, I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. I mean, yeah. And the, and the intensity they practiced with that day was 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 very was very um, exciting. Um, it. it you know, you had a good feeling um, sitting there watching it. And then to go to that game the next day, and I and if I'm not mistaken, they they pretty much put one on the nets that night. They um, yeah, they did. Yeah, so it was it was a good game, and it was a, the atmosphere was was outstanding. Uh, it was a good time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they beat they just beat the nets by I think it was like ten or eleven, but it was like a super high. It wasn't close, game. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. 
yeah, it's cool that you're able to get in there and, and see the practices. I, I think the, the coolest thing has been the season, just looking at the different intensity that, that the team has played with that I've never really seen before. When you talk about Patrick Beverly coming in, just kind of setting that tone day one. And really, I mean, the Wolves have had their struggles. You know, they've had their six-game losing streaks. Um, but they've also, lately, they haven't let that get to them. They'll maybe lose two, and then they stop the losing streak. They get back, start winning. So I think that's been, like, a maturity a maturity standpoint, I guess, um, which has been really cool to see because forever this team has just been, I mean, for lack of better terms, just, like, they like being pushed around, and nobody, you know, <laughs> nobody would step up and stop them. Um, from from that happening to them so yeah it's been cool to to see that kind of come to fruition and like you say see that energy level even in practices being being that high is really really cool yeah because you hope that they can take that to the floor um you know you know as a as a coach you know you you want to be able to take that intensity to the floor and they brought it the next day and uh like i said it was it was so exciting to see and just the ball movement just you know the, the play um you know d'angelo russell came out that game he was just uh so smooth and being at practice watching his leadership skills uh practice was 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 very was very good as well so you're saying d'angelo russell's leadership skills d'angelo russell's leadership skills yes yeah and that's and that's cool to hear cuz the Timberwolves really haven't had that leader. And now it seems like they have multiple leaders that all kind of lead in their own, their own way with Patrick Beverly being like the vocal leader, D'Angelo Russell, how he leads just on the court. And I guess more silently vocally, mm-hmm. not like out in front of everybody, but he, from the sounds of it, he garners a lot of respect from, from the players in that locker room. And then Carl Anthony Towns leadership just by, you know, being, as great of a player as he is and just showing everybody, you know, that he can just take over a game at, at any time. It's pretty cool to see those types of leaders coming, coming out for this team. It's uh, it's really funny. Uh, you, you mentioned Carl Anthony Towns. Um, I, I reflect back to uh, probably my second year coaching at, at Villanova and uh, assistant coach comes up and says, bringing the six, eight, eighth grader in, um, we're going to, we're going to have men. And I'm like, there is no way there's some eighth grader six, eight. And it was Carl Anthony Towns. And he comes in and I walk into the theater and I remember he, he stood up and I was like, wow, six, eight. And I mean, he was legit. Um, very, very um, great young man. Um, very down to earth. Um, uh, you know, really enjoyed watching him through college and I've really enjoyed watching him with the T-Wolves. Yeah, he's it's crazy that he is six, eight in eighth grade. I just and obviously (laughs) didn't stop growing since then. But so you said he played against those Villanova players or just no, that that was he was he was in high school. He was being we were recruiting him. He was I mean, so actually he probably was in ninth grade since we were recruiting him. He couldn't come as an eighth grader. Um, So he was probably in ninth grade. Um, So we had him we had him in there. Um, And uh, yeah, it was it was uh, exciting to see him. But. You know, he pe- he chose the other Wildcats. Um, yeah. You know, nothing against them. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, let's stick on the Carl Anthony Towns train. He is fighting this year um, for an all-NBA spot. And obviously the incentive for him is if he gets that spot, he gets the chance to sign a Supermax contract extension. Yeah, uh, big money coming <laughs> big, for him. Big money, so, and I don't think the Timberwolves would hesitate giving him that, that, that contract. I think it would just be him signing. And I think if he lands on the all NBA team that he would sign that because otherwise, you know, he could be losing out on a bunch of money if he's not signing that contract. Um, and I think for Timberwolves fans, you might think, you know, it's a little bit harder to work with that big contract on the books, but when, but otherwise you don't have this superstar talent on your team. Um, I guess, do you think, looking at how Towns has played this year, are you thinking he can get that All-NBA spot? The, there's You just got to be on one of the three teams. Do you think he's played up to that level that he should be on that one of those teams? He's, he's, he's had a solid year. He's played very well. I think he's right on the cusp um, of, of being there on one of those teams. I think this, this push 
at the end here, it's, it's big. I mean, it's a big push, you know, he has to, he has to come with it every day. You know, it's, you know, unfortunate had a great first, uh, first half in, in the Boston game, but you know, after that scoring those points in the first quarter kind of dropped off there, you know, and, you know, even though Boston's playing outstanding, you know, he, he has to be that consistent cog throughout the game that just, that just keeps, keeps the team going and, you know, has to find a way to find a way to get it done. You know, but I think he's real close to it. Yeah. And I think really it comes down to like for those center spots, I feel like there's those four guys and three yes. of those guys at least will make it. But the interesting thing that's happened on this year's ballots is how one of both Embiid and Jokic can be considered forwards. Forwards. Yeah. Which if both of them made the first team, then I think Cat's a lot to get one of the other right. ones. Cause I think it's just, then you just have him and Gobert left where if one of Jokic and Embiid ends up, you know, one's on the first team, one's on the second team, then it's one spot for, for Kat and Gobert. So, yeah, I don't know. I think the thing that is interesting, and I don't know if you, you know, Dane Moore at all covers the Timberwolves. um, He pointed out Zach Lowe said that Kat was going to be on his all NBA ballot. And Dane, a few years ago, reached out to a bunch of um, just people who have ballots, like 25 people asking them, you know, a few years ago, if Kat was going to make it, whatever. And most of the responses he got back were saying like, well, Zach Lowe said Gobert should make it. So we're kind of just going to vote for Gobert. So it sounds like, as he pointed out, Zach Lowe has a big, like, impact on cards. Right. <laughs> just because he's one of the few people that probably follows the league close enough and sees enough of every player. And he has that respect from other media members that he does watch those games. So a lot of them kind of follow his suit when it comes to like all NBA third team and like, you know, all defensive teams and stuff like that. But it's hard to watch the whole league. So I guess that's where my confidence comes for cap making it is if Zach Lowe's saying it, then a lot of people are probably going to, going to go that direction also. Well, you know, it's really funny that you, that you mentioned about Embiid and Yoki, um, you know, living in Philadelphia, um, you know, I hear Embiid all the time. It's about Embiid. So yesterday, the big thing was Embiid. It was now second in the MVP voting. So I think if those two are running first and second, it would be hard to take them both off the first team. So, you know, thus opening up uh, those spots on the second and the third team. Um, so, Looks like Mark Mark might have to <laughs> get in his pocket a little deeper. <laughs> yeah, I I just don't know how you could take the top two in MVP voting and be like, sorry, you're the two best players in the league this season, but one of you's got to go on the All NBA second team. Right, exactly. So then I guess the conversation shifts to: Do you think positions should matter at all for the All NBA team? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I I I want positions to matter because you want to put together a quote unquote team. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I want the positions to matter. But when you really look at it, it's positionless basketball anymore. Um, you know, you have some teams play small, some teams play big. Um, guys are playing multiple positions, so it it's it's you know it's it's uh, it's it's you know. One or the other, um, you know, I, I, I like yeah. to position this basketball more. Um, that's the way I coach, um, you know, so and I've been part of that kind of system for many years. But every time I reflect back to the NBA, it's always about one, two, three, four and five. Um, and, you, and you put them you put them in there that way. Right. Yeah. And that's that's why I kind of think about it that way, too, is. It'd be cool to hypothetically think like you put together these all NBA teams and then hypothetically play them against one another. But the same time, I mean, if I'm drafting a team and you're telling me that I can have both Jokic and Embiid on one floor, I'm going to make it work. I don't know what system I'm running, but I'm going to make it work. (laughs) So I get the arguments for both sides there, I guess. But yeah, it's just interesting to see how that, how that'll unfold. I think, yeah, for sure. If those two end up on the first team, then, then Kat's going to have a spot either on the second or the third team, which is, Good for him. I think it's good for Minnesota because, um, I mean, we need to keep the talent we got. Otherwise, we're just going back, starting back at square one. 
Yeah, I think I think the talent on that team, you have to find a way to keep it together, um, build off it, you know, no matter what happens this year to continue building off of what you've what you've already established, um, you know, coaching staff seems solid. Um, the head coach is a solid guy, solid coach um, and, uh, and a great mind. Um, and uh, hopefully everything just keeps rolling in that direction. Let's talk about another Timberwolves player um, that played plays a similar position to where you played uh, when you were a player in the NBA. Anthony Edwards, what have you seen from him and how just how good do you think that he can be? Just knowing how the NBA works, being around the league. Um, what's I mean, sky the limit for him or what do you how do you feel? about? Yeah, him? I, I, I think the sky's the limit for him. I mean, he can go off the bounce. He could always go off the bounce. He's dropping threes, um, you know, handles, handles very good. Um, you know, defensively, he's, be get, he's getting better. Um, you know, it's, you know, I think eventually, you know, as you move up this ladder, you, you know, you, you start wanting to be that complete player and, and doing it on both ends. And as they continue to win and, and start building that identity, all those things will take, take, take care of itself. And, um, you know, I just think the sky's the limit for him. I mean, he can do so much. So much, so athletic, um, can guard multiple positions. Like I said, shooting the ball from three, um, you know, finishing with contact, finishing, as we talked earlier, above the rim, um, you know, ferocious, ferociously, um, you know, some of those dunk highlights, oh, man. Yeah. You know, that's why when you ask me, I'm thinking like, man, those, those that, that that kid, and what's he, he's like six, eight. He's, he's like, six, I think eight. he's. I think six, they seven. list him at six. I think they list him at six, five, but okay. I know he grew right. a little bit after his rookie year, they said too. So I don't, I don't know exactly well, he's, how tall he's, but he's big. He's yeah. Big he's too. a very built, strong, yeah. strong, strong young man. Um, you know, and, you know, we used to say he has that, 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 that country strength, uh, you know, he just, <laughs> he's just strong, you know, strong to the basket. Reminds me, reminds me a lot. Um, his game reminds me a lot of J.R. Ryder. Um, you know, J.R. Ryder, who I played with, uh, came in big, I mean, not big tall wise, but strong, bulky, uh, could get to the basket, shoot three, um, you know, a lot of similarities to their games. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's what's been crazy is the Wolves haven't really had a guard. I mean, they, they've been a team of just star big men, like through and through. You got Garnett to Kevin Love to Carl Anthony Towns. So they've had good good wing players, you know, in there mixed in, but like the star of the team has always been KG after KG. Then it was Kevin Love after Kevin Love. It's cat. But I think Anthony Edwards has a real chance to eventually be better than Carl Anthony Towns. And that's not saying cat's going to be worse, but just that Edwards is going to be just a different animal, which I think is the most exciting thing about being a Timberwolves fan right now, thinking, that Carl Anthony Towns could be your second best player, which is crazy to think, but I think Anthony Edwards has that type of ceiling uh, with the way he can score. Like you said, defensively, his on-ball defense at times is just almost as impressive as his dunks. Like yes. just staying in front of like star players and, and things like that. Where it gets trickier is off the ball. He struggles a little bit, but I think that can come with time too. Yeah, he kind of lose, loses interest, you know, off the ball sometimes. Yeah. It, it happens, you know, in the, in the game, you know, you, you, you find yourself in those ISO situations on the other side watching what's going on. And next thing you know, guys cutting back door behind you. And so, uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, coaches, coaches going off. But you're right. Um, I, you know, I, I can see him becoming the star of the team. And, you know, whether he's the number one or number two, keeping those two guys together, I think, is very important. Yeah. And even – he for sure is like the face of the team, even if he's not the star. Like that's what draws people to the Timberwolves. They see those dunks and his personality is just like off the charts. I think just sitting in media calls with him, the simplest question can turn into the funniest answer, whether it's him <laughs> ordering McDonald's, McDonald's. <laughs> or even, yeah, and just – I mean, showing up with the Popeyes to the game, just <laughs> talking about his earring shining and dancing in the light and just everything that he does is just super funny. But he's he's so real 
And I think that's the thing that we appreciate the most about him as media is like, he'll just say what he thinks is on his mind. It's unfiltered. And um, it's never been, I mean, he's never said anything terrible, which is good being unfiltered, but he's just so authentic. And you know, he's not putting on any sort of front. That's just kind of, that's who he is. And I guess that's why Timberwolves fans drew to him right away. He's just hilarious and he's good. So that helps. One of, one of the things I noticed when I was at practice and around those guys at days, he, he was smiling all day. Just like he was just he was just happy. He was just like yeah. this, this young, like a young kid, you know, just happy, just smiling. And, you know, for that matter, the whole team, the whole team was like that. It seemed like they were a very, very tight knit group. Um, and I, I think that's always important um, when you're coming, you know, down the stretch of a season, you're, you're fighting for a, a playoff spot. And, and, you know, when the guys are all on the same page and, and, a, and they enjoy being around each other, it, it really helps a lot with a lot, uh, a lot of things um, for the coach, the coaching sure. staff. Uh, we're going to get another quick break, Doug, before we keep going. And then we'll come back and hit a la- the last few questions before we end. So we will be right back. Tons of people take multivitamins, but it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to start your day right. Their special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's also lifestyle-friendly and fits a wide range of diets. There's only one gram of sugar and no chemicals or artificial anything. So reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. Again, that's athleticgreens.com believe. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. All right, so we are back. We just we just wrapped up talking uh, about Anthony Edwards and just kind of his, you know, the sky being the limit for him and, and what we've seen from him in his career so far and just kind of the trajectory that we can kind of see him going with. Um, I want to focus... I guess a little bit on, on the Timberwolves overall. And Doug, you were a a pretty fantastic defensive player when you um, played in the NBA. What, uh, what have you seen from this Timberwolves group? When you think of a team coming into the season and you think you have Carl Anthony Towns, who notoriously hasn't been a great defender, D'Angelo Russell, who's been very poor on that side of the floor throughout (laughs) his career. And then you got other guys in the team that, can't play defense like at all. And then you got some really good defenders, I guess. Did you ever think that the team would be as good defensively as it has been this season? Cause starting out the year, I mean, they've been around a top 10 defense for most of the year. I think they sit around like 12th. Now I wouldn't have thought that was possible coming into the season. I guess. What was your view of it? Coming into the season, you, you wouldn't have thought that. But like I was just talking, um, when you trust each other and you have that that chemistry, that team chemistry, and you know because it, it, the trust factor usually happens on the defensive end. Um, you know, offensively, you know, guys want to get upset because you didn't pass in the ball or whatever. But on that defensive end, if we could all be on the same page and we're all pulling on the rope the same way, which they seem to be doing. Um, it just it just it just allows the team to be that much better. Um, and uh, you know they they've done a great job um, of just playing together um, and trusting each other. And you know that's 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 really the key to the whole thing. Them trusting each other. You know, I get beat, someone has my back. Um, I step up, someone has my back. Um, and that's 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 when it's good. So they've been. For the majority of the season, they they played that aggressive up at the level of the screen defense where Cat isn't really dropping back at all, but rather, you know, playing right up at that level. And that's where they found the most success. But but lately throughout the season, they've been trying to add in more schemes, trying to get some drop coverage in, things like that. Um, I'm 
assuming that's to get them ready for the playoffs, I guess that drop hasn't been working at all, even when they've been (laughs) trying it. So I guess my question is, and it's probably team dependent on who they match up with in the playoffs, but when you, you look ahead to the playoffs, do you try to do those different schemes or do you just go back to that, that uh, at the level defense and hope that that's your best shot? Because you know, those other, uh, those other schemes just haven't been working for you and they probably aren't giving you the best chance to win. Well, I, I think what, what's, what's going to happen or is what's going on is they're looking at different, different uh, coverages and to see what, what works best with certain groups against certain players, you know, as, as you alluded to, um, you know, and you know, that drop coverage is, it's tough sometimes. You, you, if you have the right guard turning that corner and they're able to pull up, uh, you know, like a, like a Chris Paul, uh, drop coverage on Chris Paul isn't, isn't really good because he's going to try to get to his spots on the elbow. So if you're sitting back in the, in the middle of the lane right there, that's, that's allowing him to pull up in, in his comfort zone, you know, like some, so someone like him, we gotta, we gotta push up on him and, and make him keep him out of the lane, you know? So again, I think it's going to, it's going to depend on the team that they're playing um, and in the matchup, uh, you know, but it's the, the drop coverage is, is something that a lot of teams are going to, um, you know, these, these uh, bigs are able to, to space and they're able to contest shots and they just got to make sure they continue to do so. Yeah. And I guess that's probably where I land too, is that you really just got to see who you're, who you're going up against. Yes. Yeah, but, um, who's who's going to be. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so I'm just excited to see who they do match up with when it comes to the playoffs. And we kind of already talked about that, but it'll be interesting to see what kind of defensive schemes they run and that, and that type of thing. Um, I guess the, as the season winds down here, the Timberwolves right now are um, 43 and 33. So they're 10 games uh, over 500. And you said you made the playoffs once in your career. What season did you make the playoffs in? It's 97, 98. So it's your last season in Minnesota. 96, 97. Okay. So I guess what experience did you learn in that playoff year? How important was that playoff year just for, for your career? And like, what did you learn that's different from the playoffs and the regular season? Like, how does the game change when you get to the playoffs? <laughs> well, the first thing we learned uh, was when we got to the hotel in Houston. Um, we each had our own video machine in there back then, you know, you had the VCR, uh, with the tapes um, yep. so of your, of your position player. Um, so that wasn't something that we had done throughout the season, but, you know, walking into the room, I was like, Oh, okay. So we have, you know, this, this video to watch on your own. Um, the intensity of it was, was, was totally different. Um, us, we, we played the Houston Rockets back then and they had Barkley, Drexler, Olajuwon, um, you know, Kenny Smith, Sam Cassell, uh, I think they might've even, they might've won the championship that year. Um, you know, so they, they were, uh, a, a formidable opponent. I mean, they were, they were so good then, uh, swept us in three games. Uh, we, you know, back then it was the best of five. Yep. Um, so we had the two games there and then the one game at home, um, and, and the intensity of the game, um, each game, the intensity was, was, was it was just amazing how intense it was um you know in every play every possession counts um and it's it's you know you try to explain this uh to players you know about the the valuing the ball valuing possessions um i think as you get into the playoffs you you learn more and more that you know this isn't all about an up-tempo game now it's about being able to execute your offensive sets on the offensive end and your defensive schemes on the defensive side so I guess, so you played Houston and like you said, that had, um, they had three all-time great players with Hakeem, Charles Barkley, Clyde Drexler on that team, but you had an all-time player on your team as well, Kevin Garnett. What was it like playing with Kevin Garnett? Like the intensity, all of that, what, cause you were, how many seasons would you have played with him? Two? Three. Kevin came in with three, three years, three years with Kevin, three, so four, three. What was it like with Kevin? What was it like playing with him? Like, what was that? The intensity of practices, like everything. How was it playing with someone Um, like that? 
You know, when we when we first brought Kevin in, um, you know, we 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 drafted him, and we're drafting a, a kid from high school. And, and I remember Kevin McHale saying, "Dougie, wait till you see this kid play." And uh, you know, he came. He was quiet at first. Um, you know, that first half of his rookie season, um, you know, he was quiet. Um, played his tail off um, every day at practice. Uh, was was definitely one of the players that spent the most time after practice working on his game um, did a lot of, a lot of work with Kevin McHale coming back that next year, or actually probably later on in that season. I think, I think his first year might've been Bill Blair. His second year, I think flip flip took over. I think that's when flip took over um, coming back that second year. He was a totally different player. Um, very vocal, um, the intensity had gone to another level. Um, and practice, you know, I, I always tell people when they ask questions about Kevin, Kevin practiced like he plays. Um, so what you see during what you saw during a game and when you saw the emotion and the energy he was spent, spent on the defensive end, the energy spent um, coaching up his teammates, that was real. That was game like that was practice like every day. And uh, it was it was just exciting to see his growth, um, you know, how he became this the, the little skinny kid he was. It was just, you know, playing in the post a little bit, expanded his game, could defend any position. And one of the things, you know, I, I love him, but I hate it practicing against him because, I mean, you're talking about when you think you have someone beat and they can recover and block your shot from three feet away. Uh, you yeah. know, it used to drive, used to drive me nuts. Well, when you think about, and I obviously didn't watch a lot of his early career, just not being old enough, but I've watched a lot of highlights of Kevin Garnett playing for the Timberwolves to be seven foot and to move your feet like that on defense is just insane. You don't really see that. I get like, that's the reason I guess he's a top five defender of all time is just how good he was at guarding whichever position on the floor that, that he needed to. Um, I guess my question is you spent some time in Houston. Um, well, I guess Rio Grande with Patrick Beverly, you were talking about earlier, he came in for like half that season. Do you notice any similarities between him and <laughs> Kevin Garnett when it comes to demeanor and work ethic and things like that? Cause obviously KG was Patrick Beverly's idol growing up. That's why he wore 21 in Houston. He wore 21 in LA. Obviously he's not going to wear 21 in Minnesota, but do you see any similarities between how those two approach the game? Well, it's interesting because I didn't know that Kevin was his idol, but yes, the similarities of, you know, the intensity um, because Patrick's that way in practice yeah. and he's that way in games. Um, so I can see where, not now that you mentioned that, where he got, where that came from. Um, so yeah, the similarities are there. Um, only thing for Pat, he's not seven foot. It's a, a totally different, <laughs> totally different position. But but yeah, I mean, they from what I've seen is they don't have any um they don't back down from anyone. Patrick Beverly doesn't care That's, that you're a foot taller than him. He's going to try and rattle you up as as much as he can. And yeah, I think when when Pat came here this season, one of the things he said was that you know, KG was his idol growing up. They're both from Chicago. So I think, I think it had to stem from that. Just watching him see somebody make it out of the same place he is to the NBA playing with that intensity. Um, and that's part of the reason he came to Minnesota too, was KG was here. Um, obviously he couldn't wear number 21. So he's rocking number 22, but yeah, I think I, like I said, I didn't follow the Timberwolves as when KG was in his heyday, just cause I was young. But I, when I grew up, I was a big Celtics fan Ooh. because I could, well, so <laughs> no, that's all good. It's good. Man. <laughs> we couldn't, we didn't get a lot of the Timberwolves games on our TV just cause of like TV contract things and whatever, whatever provider we had growing up, but the right. Celtics were always on national TV. So I could watch the Celtics all the time. And then knowing KG after, cause he got traded when I was, in like first grade. So oh, okay. kind of went there. Paul Pierce was one of my favorite players. 
So I just saw the intensity of that through their title run. I saw that when I was like eight or nine years old. It's just like crazy to see how hard Kevin Garnett played all the time. And now I'm sitting on media row at Timberwolves games, watching Patrick Beverly go literally insane, just, but in a good way, it never blows up to where like there's fights on his own team, you know, maybe with the other team, but like, right. He just commands control of, of the team and he commands such respect, not even just from his teammates, but, but from the refs, I don't know how Patrick Beverly doesn't get teed up more than he does. Cause the things he does yes. is ridiculous, but the refs, <laughs> the refs respect him. And maybe that's, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know why, but I guess I'm glad that they do, but it's crazy to see. Yeah. I, I think Pat has earned his respect. Um, you know, he's played um, for some very good teams. He's been in some, you know, very, um, tight series um, in the playoffs. So he's, he's earned that respect. Um, and he just, uh, like you said, he leaves it out there, plays his tail off. Yeah. And, and I think the craziest thing to think about Patrick Beverly was in high school, he averaged 30 a game. Like he was a scorer and he talked about that coming to the NBA. He said, and now all, everybody thinks about me as a defender and I, you know, I don't do anything on offense. He's like, I, I was the leading scorer in <laughs> Illinois in, in high school, 30 points per game. And yeah, so he did, he wasn't just a defender, which is the craziest thing for me to learn is that he was such a prolific scorer in high school because I mean, he can shoot the ball. He can do a little bit on offense, but like he just tries so hard on defense. And, and I think that he was talking on JJ Reddick's podcast about that and how, you know, he kind of changed his game when he got to the NBA and just became like this pest to do that, all the defensive dirty work and stuff. But it's crazy that he changed so much that way. And his his thing was just imagine Steph Curry coming in and just being a crazy defender and not doing a lot on offense. He's like, that's what I did. He's like, I was right. Steph Curry in high school. And now now he's this crazy defender, which is kind of a cool trajectory, I guess. Yeah, well, you know, I didn't I never knew that. That's the first time I heard um, about him being this uh, scorer. And I think what happens is, you know, when he I think he came out early, he had to play overseas uh, for a bit. You come back in, you get that opportunity to come into the NBA. You're on a team. You know, and I think when he came back to Houston, I mean, you know, Harden, Harden was the man in Houston. So it's like figure a way to get yourself on the court. Um, you know, that's myself, um, you know, I had to figure a way to get myself on the court um, when I when I was playing with the Timberwolves. And, you know, Scotty Brooks came in and Scotty Brooks and I went out there. It was like, oh, defense. Yeah, let's, let's play defense um, because I was a 2000 point scorer in, in college. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, coming in early, um, you know, we had Tony Campbell, you know, we had uh, Tyrone Corbin, Poop, you know, it wasn't about me, me scoring. So how do you get on the bench? I mean, get on the floor. And uh, through the defensive end. So I think Pat, Pat had to figure it out. You know, a lot yeah. of players have to figure that out coming into the NBA. You know, a lot come in and, you know, team doesn't need you to score. We, we, they have scores. Um, yeah. But when they, when they need you to, you better be ready. Right. So I just I looked up his, his stats here. So in 2006 was a senior year in high school in Chicago. 37.3 points per game. Wow. Six boards, six assists, and eight steals per game. But 37 wow. points is 37. That's a lot of points. Yeah. In a high school um, game. Right. In a high school that's, game. The I games mean. are probably well, high <laughs> school. 32 games. minutes. Yeah. 32 minutes long. I mean, eight minute quarters. It's like that's that's a that's and there's no shot clock. No. Nope. So he was man, they, he was getting it done. I need to look up <laughs> some highlights of that. I think. <laughs> right. Yeah. I want to that's that should be interesting there. 37 but, points a game. Crazy. Um, yeah, I think I don't know. You talk about finding a way to get on the court. Um, I guess, what was it like for you? Because you didn't play a ton your first season and you didn't have like a huge integral part. But then I think it was, now I'm trying to think, like four years in your curve, your fourth year, you averaged 19 points per game. What clicked? And even your third year, 14 points. Obviously, your role went up 
you start, you got 30 something minutes a game in your third year after playing 11 minutes in your sophomore season. But I guess just what clicked between that second year? Was it a spot opened up? Did you impress the coaches at some point? How did you go from just 11 minutes a game in your second year to 31 your your third year and then 38 minutes per game your fourth year? Yeah, I think, you know, coming in uh, as a rookie, you're, you're just trying to figure figure your way out, figure your way around, um, you know, that first year. Second year, um, <laughs> I wasn't even sure if I was going to be on the team. You know, it was like, oh, am I going to be on the team? And I remember Bill Musselman bringing me in during training camp and saying, you know, we're, we're going to keep you. I'm, I'm expecting, expecting some things out of you this year, you know. Third year, giving more opportunity. Um, I think by that fourth year with the 19 points, I think that's when Jimmy Rogers took over. And uh, Jimmy Rogers, I think we got Tony Campbell had moved on. Tyrone Corbin had moved on. Um, I think Pooh might have even moved on by then. So, um, you know, the the opportunity to score was there. Um, you know, I found out, you know, that fourth year, what it was like to be a leading scorer on a team, you know, averaging 19 points a game. And it was just tough games, uh, you know, and, you know, I, I always joke about it. Um, I think that was, we might've been 15 and 67 that year though, as well. So, uh, you know, that's, that's never, that's never good to be the leading scorer on a, on a bad team. Um, right. You know, but, you know, you, you had to put the work in, um, you know, someone had to put the ball in the basket uh, during, during those times. Um, and it, and it fell on me. And then as we added pieces, um, you know, to our team, it was again, trying to figure out, you know, you're bringing in all these lottery picks every year, you know, because the lottery picks are going to play. <laughs> so yeah. where, where do you fit in, 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 in this, in this scheme here? And, uh, you know, I was fortunate, you know, fortunate to be there for nine years. Uh, great relationships there. Um, you know, met a lot of people, uh, saw a lot of things. Um, and, uh, it was a great, great, uh, great opportunity and I, I wouldn't uh, change it for the world. So last thing I want to talk about before we, we end up here is obviously Villanova, one of the best players, Villanova history. Uh, they're currently in the final four. They got <laughs> Kansas. They play on April 2nd. So that would be on Saturday. What have you, what's your prediction for the final four for, for your Wildcats? Um, I wish that Justin Moore didn't get hurt. Um, you know, we lost our second leader's leading score. He tore his Achilles um, in the last 30 seconds of the game. Yeah, that was tough. Uh, last week. That's a that's a, that's a big loss for us. Um, but I, I feel that the team's, you know, the team's going to step up. Uh, you know, the, the next guy up mentality is, is what they have. Uh, there are guys on the bench that are going to come in and, and they're going to they're going to contribute. Um, but they got a very tough matchup with Kansas. Um, Kansas is, uh, you know, I watched them play this weekend. Um, a lot of team speed, um, you know, a deep bench. Um, you know, and they have speed at all five positions and they can score at all five positions. So it's going to be a tough matchup. Um, I, I'm, I'm really looking um, at them. If, if we had just the more, I think we could win the whole thing. Now, I'm not saying we still can't win it, um, but it's going to be, it's going to be a, a tougher task. Um, on the other side, Duke and North Carolina. Um, I like how both of them are playing right now. Um, really had the opportunity uh, to see them. Their their both teams' um, level of intensity and in their teams uh, rise up since that game they had on a senior night um, at Cameron a few weeks ago. And I think that game's just going to be, you know, outstanding. I mean, they're talking that they got five first round picks um, on Duke's team and. You know, I look at Caleb Love and I look at Davis and I look at, you know, there's guys on that team. So you might have nine, nine first round picks playing out there um, in, in game two. And Kansas has some on their team as well. So I think the final four is going to be great. Um, you know, um, you know, V's up all the time around here. That's, that's what we do. It's, it's, it's all, you know, attitude, Villanova all day long. Uh, it's just, uh, I bleed that blue. Um, so hoping that they can, they can do something. Well, I tell you what, I'll be rooting for Villanova, even though I, I uh, self-proclaimed myself a Kansas fan when I was younger. Okay. I don't, I don't really follow them like I did then. Um, Villanova, I mean, they got, they got a championship in 2016. 
They got one in 2018. I mean, it sounds like they're due. It's been four years. It's time, to, <laughs> time to get another one. Do you, so do you know Coach Jay Wright very very well? And, and well, what's the relationship so, like that? So Coach Wright and I go back to my playing days. Um, he was an assistant um, under Coach Mass when I was a junior. Um, back when I was, back when I was married, he was in my wedding. Um, and I was on staff with him for five years, um, at Villanova. So, you know, our relationship is, is, is really good. I'm still, I still go to practices weekly, a few times, a few times a week. Um, you know, my, my son was, a, was a graduate assistant on the team, um, the two years prior. Um, so, Got a, got a great relationship with Coach Wright. Um, he's done an outstanding job in his 20 years at Nova. Um, I didn't I didn't see this coming when he when he took the job. Yeah, he's done a fantastic job, especially over the last you know eight ten years. The team is really, I mean, they've been super consistent. They've been making the you know the Final Four. They've made since 2009. They made in 09, 16, 18, and this year they've been in the Elite Eight a bunch of times. Um, it's been really cool to see just how good they've been. And now, I mean, we know Mikhail Bridges is in the NBA. Who, what other Nova players? Jalen Brunson went to Nova. Jalen Brunson, Jalen Brunson. You had, well, that's, we can go back to the Timberwolves back with Randy Foy. Randy Foy came from Nova. Um, you have, uh, Pascal, Eric Pascal, who's now in Utah. You have Dante DiVincenzo, who's out in Sacramento now, I think. Um, yep. Josh Hart. Yeah. Josh Hart. Um, yeah. Kyle he's Lowry. Kyle Lowry. Yep. Sadiq yeah. He's Sadiq's in Detroit. Yeah. So his, uh, I think Arsenal Diakono is back in, he's, he's on in the New Knicks York. now. Yeah. New York now. So he's had some, some players, uh, over his, over his tenure, um, you know, in the last uh, 10 years that have, have made the NBA and, uh, they're, they're doing well for themselves. Yeah. And, and that's, really cool to see that, that they've had that many players now, you know, consistently going with like just in the last like handful of years, that 2018 draft. I mean, they got four guys drafted then Omari Spellman, yes. Dante DiVincenzo, mm-hmm. Jalen Brunson, Mikhail Bridges. That was obviously the, the time, the last time they that won the championship championship. Yeah. But, um, and then since then, even Sadiq Bay and Eric Pascal Jer- and Jeremiah, Jeremiah Robinson. Robinson. Yes. Yep. So it's been cool him. to see, I'm sure for you as like, you know, an alum, it's cool to see all those guys just making it to the league from the same place that, that you made it to the league from, uh, were you the only player on your college team that you played with at all throughout college that made it to the league? Cause I know on my, on my team, yeah, and I know you played four years, but anywhere did you play with somebody else? I see Harold Presley. Harold Presley, yes, Harold Presley probably was there it. your freshman year. Yeah, I played with him as a freshman, and that's uh, pretty much it from my my four years um, in the league. I mean, at, at Villanova, and then it uh, started again right after that with Kerry Kittles, um, you know, coming in and uh, you know being the being the player that he was with the Nets, right. All right. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we, we go? Obviously the Wolves play tonight on Wednesday. They got a few more games and then uh, it's almost playoff time. So anything else you want to talk about quick before we hop off here? Yeah. I just want to make sure that these Wolves just keep plugging along, man. Just make sure that they just uh, keep playing for each other. Um, You know, and uh, hopefully, you know, one game at a time, take it tonight first, you know, and uh, Finchie and Nick will be, giving each other the eye down the, down the sideline because they both know what each other's running. So it's, right. uh, <laughs> it's going to be one of those things, you know, it's like, oh, I know what you're running. Uh, so uh, it should be, should be exciting. And, you know, this, this stretch, you know, take care of those three games at home. Um, for exactly. sure. Take care of those three at home and uh, see where it's, you know, you're in control really of your destiny. So see what happens. For sure. Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Um, Doug and I will be back soon. Um, we're excited to get this thing going, excited to get to play off Wolves basketball, which should be a lot of fun. But um, like I said, we'll be back soon. Thank you all for listening to the Believe in Timberwolves podcast presented by Bet Online, and we will be back soon. Peace out.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.